Our house feet don't bring the cops knocking. No more apologetic sunflowers, dollar store stationery to color code our, fric- our fictions. I mean Mary J and Mary Jane and not the blue that Pecola wanted. I have my blues and blacks and these unsettled greens that shoot up to pines. Hello everyone, and welcome to Poetic Pontification, a podcast for poets to share their work and their story. I'm your host, Melina Kritikopoulos, and this week we are moving away from Berkeley, Alameda County, and even California. We are speaking to Arisa White, a poet, writer, and educator all the way from New York. We'll get back to her poem later, and her connection to the Bay Area, because I promise she does have one. But first, let's talk Arisa's introduction into poetry and language. Why do you write poetry? What started you on your poetic journey? Um, just, yeah, just why do you write? What What is, what's the motivation behind it all? And then if you, if you have like a sort of a, a catalyzing event of, I, I, everybody I ask is always like, it was a poetry unit in middle school that started me off writing poetry. So sort of <laughs> what is that event for you that started it? And then why have you continued to write since then? Um, I think from what started for me is really this love for language and just growing up, you know, with my siblings, I'm one of seven children and um, we entertained ourselves by being creative. My older brother um, was, you know, learning visual arts. He was a student at LaGuardia, which was like the famed school in New York City. So, you know, he was kind of bringing in all of the, like, cool, grungy, artsy stuff. And that was really inspiring. And then, you know, my mom got us, like, a camcorder in the late 80s, 90s. So we had, like, a camcorder to, like, make our own movies or videos. And at that time, that's when like music videos were like coming out and being really interesting and cool as a concept. And so we would like, you know, I had like a rapper name, Arisa D, and we would like write, we would totally write rhymes and raps and have battles and videotape ourselves. So, so it was just this kind of way in which I knew that creativity was this like exciting third space that could be made. Arisa comes from a big family, her mother also being one of seven kids. Growing up around lots of people from different generations introduced her to lots of different cultural movements and grew her love for language. One moment that I think about the most in terms of like storytelling is reading Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. And in the opening of that book, she uses like um, like a Dick and Jane sort of like primer. Like when you first learn to read, like Jane is running from Spot and Spot is black and white kind of um, beginner's primer for reading. Mother, father, Dick and Jane live in the green and white house. They're very happy. See, Jane? She has a red dress. She wants to play. 
who will play with Jane? And so she takes that language and she just messes with it. She removes um, commas and punctuation. She removes space until it just blends into a mess of words. Mother, father, Dick and Jane live in the green and white house. They are very happy. See Jane, she has a red dress. She wants to play. Who will play with Jane? See the cat. And it's almost like you have to use memory in order to decode and sort of see the original passage. And so I was like, oh my God, you can do this with, you can manipulate language in such a way. And, and in that manipu manipulation, there's an affect that you, that you get to kind of like work with. However, it sort of stirs you up in your body. Um, and then I just met different kinds of writers, different kinds of poets. But in the end, what poetry sort of feel like, what I get from poetry is a certain kind of freedom that I don't necessarily feel that I get when I write prose. Like all of a sudden with prose, the rules of grammar really are enforced, you know, syntax and punctuation, all of that. Like all of a sudden it starts feeling really hegemonic. But like... In, in poetry, it's this immediacy of the moment that takes over. And then all of a sudden, like the language just becomes a tool to make sense of what you're seeing and what you're feeling and what you're wondering. And so a comma um, can, can become like a knife in a way. <laughs> you know, a period can become a sinkhole um, in your line. It's just... I just feels like there's just so like poetry feels like it's accessible to the malleable and adaptive nature that we are. I was blown away by how poetic Arisa talked in her everyday cadence. A comma as a knife and a period as a sinkhole. Wow. As poetic as her words are, let's hear the actual poem she shared with us in its entirety. It's called poem number six, part of her chapbook collection called Black Pearl. And so the way that this um, collection is organized is that there are eight sort of uh, sonnet-like poems that lead up to a like a um, a, po a poem in four voices, uh, like kind of poetic drama. So poem number six. Our house beat don't bring the cops knocking. No more apologetic sunflowers, dollar store stationery to color code our, our fictions. I mean Mary J and Mary Jane and not the blue that Pecola wanted. I have my blues and blacks and these unsettled greens that shoot up to pines when my rage reaches extreme Fahrenheit. To the rooftop where no more drama shakes my shoulders drops them up and down like I can rhythm of change, like I can take a man for all he's worth, and my heels lift off the ground, and heels put me back to earth. It, it was actually fun to sort of read this again. Like, this was published in 2016, and, you know, it's just kind of during this time of, like, a terrible breakup that really sort of transformed the way that I looked at myself and the world around me. So it, you know, so a part of this collection is really exploring that loss and that kind of malaise that comes out of any kind of heartbreak 
where you have to feel your heart in different ways again. It was actually, I felt like this collection kind of helped me break through, um, break through in terms of feeling through language in a different way, feeling through heartbreak in a different way. Through my back body, a tremble, a thunder, my clouds can't keep me prisoner. And I am patient as a kink that grows out this black skin into a pea that refuses me pens and needles because this is not the handiwork I came numb to do. To flatten under a Sisyphus roll and into a bedlam of jelly mouths whose love is so waterfall, I'm left at a single drop. No more in your thirst, no more your city of diminishing oaks. I'm no more your 24 sevens, no more in your heart, my applause. Wow. Wow, that was powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh my gosh. Um, the detail in that is amazing. And I I love like just all the, the small little um, sort of images that are in there makes it really visceral. Um, wow, okay. Um, is there anything you'd like to say about that poem, whether it might be like an explanation for a certain line or for the, for the message of it, anything you want to say about it? I love that line, I need Mary J and Mary Jane and not the blue that Pacola wanted. Um, and just referencing my love for Toni Morrison right there with the bluest eye and the main character, Pacola. Wow. Yeah, thank you for explaining that reference because I did really like that line, but I wasn't totally uh, understanding the, the illusions that were in it. I have been meaning to get into Toni Morrison, so if that is a that is where I should start. Um, <laughs> I will definitely, I've, I've heard such good things about her work and I really want to start reading her. Um, all right. Wow. That was, yeah, that's, I think that's really cool too. Cause um, I did, I did notice the like Sisyphus reference as well. And I think that like sort of mixing the like hyper classical ideas of like Sisyphus with something more modern, like Toni Morrison is really interesting as well to keep that all in like one poem. Yeah, and then also there's like the reference to Mary J. Blige, the R&B singer too. So it is like, yeah, all of those different references coming together. Um, and across like historical moments too, right? To sort of explain and feel through what it means to be human at any given point in time. Arisa's connection to the Bay actually follows this idea of feeling through your own humanity in a particular place and time. Her journey from Brooklyn to Oakland and back to the East Coast follows the historical legacies of the poetry scenes on each side of the country. What is your relation to the East Bay? And then like sort of how are you where you are now? Sort of your your journey. Um, so right after graduate school, so I went to graduate school at UMass Amherst in Western Massachusetts. I'm actually an East Coaster, grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, but I always wanted to live in the Bay Area, San Francisco, um, just a romantic dream of it all. Um, I didn't get out there as an undergrad, and I didn't get out there as a graduate student. But after graduate school, I was like, I am moving to the West Coast, California. So in um, like uh, 2006, um, I moved to Oakland. And um, like I said, that was right after graduate school where I got my MFA in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry. 
I knew at that point I didn't want to go back to school. Like I was done with school. Like I got my terminal degree in the art form that I wanted to practice. So coming out to the Bay, um, it was just sort of like starting over. And it actually took a while for me to sort of feel rooted in the literary community there. I would say like the Bay Area is very sort of protective. Even though it's a city, it's like a small community. And, and in many ways, you you have to show your consistency. You have to sort of be vetted. And I think that has a lot to do with like, you know, the Bay being so so attractive to folks outside of the area as like a city of transplants. Um, so eventually, like in the Bay, I think I really kind of build up my skill set to just like apply for grants, to build community where um, I felt like I didn't have community to find it. Um, the Bay Area is really supportive with like, you know, giving individual grants. So with a group of friends, I was able to do kind of these interactive literary arts um, events and programs for like the National Queer Arts Festival. Um, Yeah. And then also just really spending a lot of time going to open mics, uh, you know, facilitating workshops at local libraries in Oakland. Um, Just also kind of teaching at the different colleges and universities. Um, And I think, you know, from those connections, I was also able to get some national poetry residencies as well. So the Bay Area, I think, really grew me as a artist, as a poet in community and using poetry as a way to, you know, I think just like break open consciousness to hold space for difficult conversations that um, we often shy away from. So that is my connection to to the Bay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. Um on that note, if you if you kind of started your poetry, I'm assuming I'm assuming you started writing poetry before you came to the Bay. Oh yeah. You had. Yeah. <laughs> so um sort of is there a difference between like East or East Coast poetry scene and West Coast poetry scene? And then if so, what what is that difference? Like? <laughs> I've been asked this question before. It is so hard. It's actually hard to think about. But, I mean, it's interesting to think about, but it's hard to answer. Um, What I... Okay, so I... In terms of poetry, I I kind of feel like I have an East Coast... I have the East Coast years, the formative East Coast years. And then the West Coast was the application of that formal and informal education around poetry. So East Coast, I felt like, you know, this is where I gained my voice in terms of, you know, being a poet and sort of being a poet in front of people. Like I, in the 90s, I would um, just frequent a lot of open mics in Brooklyn and like at the New Yorican Cafe and the Lower East Side in Manhattan, um, Brooklyn Moon and Fort Greene, Brooklyn. And so it was like that kind of 90s vibe of just like poetry, just feeling like the most amazing and transformative thing ever. Um, so I kind of came out of that that scene, like that kind of grew me where I knew that poetry can be a, 
a kind of social vehicle. Like you can use it to speak about politics. And I think like even studying poetry, there's this way in which there's this kind of history that I feel East Coasters have to hit up against. You know, like Emily Dickinson, Robert Frost, Williams, Carlos Williams, like all of the, that kind of canon. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. And then when I went to the West Coast, the, the kind of history of like innovative and disruptive poetics, just, you can just feel it, like in the way that people approach the mic or just the fact that we have like the beats, that kind of beat movement there. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix. Um, I later learned that Notashaki Shange wrote, started parts of her choreo poem there. Um, so for me, the West Coast was about breaking tradition, like breaking away from that canon of like New England white poets. It was about thinking about poetry in relationship to jazz, jazz as a form, improvisation as a part of the poetic enterprise, um, you know, using poetry as a part of social justice movements, like all of that, just like breaking sense, breaking syntax. So the, I, I felt like when I came to it, like the West Coast sort of like freed me from thinking that I had to write an iambic pentameter or, you know, fall within this legacy of formalist poets or something like that with whatever it was that my schooling brainwashed me to believe. So once I got to the West Coast, I just felt like, oh, this is the place where I get to invent myself as a poet. And, and, and in that invention, I am also creating myself, too, like as a poetic being in engagement with community. I personally became heavily involved with poetry after going through a phase of reading only work by the Beats. If you don't know who they are, they're a group of mostly East Coast men that came to the Bay Area in the 1950s and wrote provocative poetry. Many of them actually lived in Berkeley for a bit. One of my favorite fun facts is that Allen Ginsberg used to work at Kipps on Durant when he lived here. But regardless of where they lived or worked, they brought with them an unconventional and experimental style of poetry that I gravitated towards in my pandemic madness stuck in my childhood bedroom of a senior year. They wrote about anything they wanted, from a mundane recollection of breakfast to long protests of their social situations filled with gritty details. And it was all art. Arisa's journey to me mirrors theirs, bringing East Coast training into a West Coast void of rules and creating something beautiful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Poetic Pontification. Stay tuned for more poets next time.